Today we're wrapping up our, our series, Ancient Wisdom for Modern Times. Uh, seems like summer just started a few weeks ago, and here we are uh, wrapping up the summer. And uh, just, to, just to jog your mind a little bit, 13 weeks ago we started by talking about pursuing wisdom and, and the fear of the Lord. Then we talked about the pathway of success. Then we talked, remember, Lady Wisdom, and we talked about the, the Lady Wisdom war, warning to the simple and the mockers and the fools, and then to the wise. We talked about winning the favor of God in July 4th. We talked about how righteousness exalts a nation. Uh, we talked about making wise choices through the series. We've talked about financial wisdom, finding your tribe, controlling your anger, the trap of sexual immorality. Uh, it's been quite a series covering so many of the themes that are in the book of Proverbs. And today we're going to wrap up our series talking about how to increase your riches, gain honor, and extend your life. Now, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? <clears throat> Should be a good way to wrap things up. Solomon says that there is something that we can do that will result in all three of these outcomes. Our topic today, however, is countercultural to the way that we typically live and so many people live, especially here in Southwest Florida. Uh, often, uh, folks live in the exact opposite way of what we're going to be talking about here today. People who exemplify the trait that we're talking about are the kind of people that most of us really like to hang around. They're the kind of people that we like to spend time with. So what is this awesome trait? Is it wisdom? I mean, it could be. We were in the book of Proverbs. Is it success? Well, there's a lot of talk of that in this book as well. Is it leadership or courage or maybe even, maybe even a sense of humor? What is this amazing trait that, that generates these incredible Results. Well, actually, it's none of those things, even though those things are all good. This is, this is even better. Anyone care to guess what this trait might be? Love. That's a good, good guess. That's not it. Somebody else? Faith. That's a good one. Being humble. You win the prize. Big, uh, big hand to you there. Yes, humility. Proverbs 22, verse 4. I'm going to read it to you in three different translations. Proverbs 22, 4 in the NIV, and sometimes people ask me, what version do I read from? I read from the 1984 NIV version uh, on every, any given Sunday. That's what my Bible is. Uh, it says, humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. Now, in the New King James, it says, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. In the New Living Translation, it says, true humility and fear of the Lord lead to riches, honor, and long life. Don't we all want riches, honor, and long life? I mean, isn't that something where we're like, yeah, you know, I think I'd kind of like that. I'd be pretty happy with those, those outcomes. Well, here's the reality. Those are the byproduct of what Solomon said is humility and a healthy fear of the Lord. So we're going to jump in, unpack this thought this morning, but let's, let's just pause and pray before we do. Father God, we come before you this morning in the name of Jesus, and first of all, Lord, we, we rejoice in the answer to prayer that we've had this week, uh, Father, that we're able to come to terms on purchasing that property, Lord. Uh, it is truly an exciting thing, uh, something we've, we've given many, many, many prayers uh, about and uh, God, thank you for answering that prayer. Uh, God, I pray that uh, the final steps uh, will all come together for us to uh, take possession of uh, that property. Uh, and Lord, then help us as well as we seek to prepare to launch the uh, mobile market uh, here in the next coming months. 
Uh, God, I pray that you would help us to be a light in this community. God, that we would make a difference, that we would, we would meet the needs of the people. And God, in the name of Jesus, that we would serve them. So Lord, we just stop and, and, and say thank you this morning for that answered prayer. And then Lord, as we, as we look into your word today, uh, God, I pray that you would open our eyes to just what it means to live humbly. Uh, God, what it, what it means to have a right view of ourselves. So Father, I pray this morning that as we just read your word, God, that your Holy Spirit would speak to hearts, and uh, Lord, that I'd just fade into the background, and God, what, what message you would have uh, for the people this morning would go forth. So Lord, we just commit this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Humility is such an honorable trait, and yet our natural tendency is quite the opposite. Uh, culture and even our own human nature pushes, pushes towards pride. Even, even though we may not want that, that's just the way it seems to go. And pride, quite frankly, is the opposite of humility. The late John R. Stott said this, pride is your greatest enemy. Humility is your greatest friend. And there's a lot of truth in that. Let me start just by defining the two terms, pride and humility. Pride can be summarized as an attitude of, of self-sufficiency, of, of self-importance, of I can do this on my own, of self-exaltation, especially in relationship to God. We think, I've got it handled, I can do it, I'll take care of things on my own. Whereas humility, humility is having a realistic sense of who we are before God and others. True humility is to see ourselves as we actually are, fallen in sin and helpless without God. So to be humble in a biblical sense is to disregard all concern for rank and privilege and to live one's life in service to the least of these as Jesus described them. It's to accept all, it's to serve all in the name of Jesus. C.S. Lewis defined humidity, humility this way, not humidity. <laughs> you know, we've got plenty of that. We don't need any more of that, but we do need some humility. C.S. Lewis said this, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. I think that is a great definition of humility. It's not to think of ourselves as low and poor and dirty and things like this, but rather just to not think much of us at all. Humble people are not scrambling for power, prestige, position. Humble people are willing to take the lower seat. They're content to serve, to function as servants. Pride, on the other hand, looks out for number one. And who's number one? Well, I'm number one. You're number one. Pride always looks to advance yourself instead of putting others first. Pride says, see what I've done. Look at me. I'm a success. Last night I had dinner down on Fifth Avenue. And uh, uh, it, it, it really kind of felt like a look at me, I'm a success parade uh, so much uh, of the time. Pride is an attitude of independence from God. Pride shows itself in an ungrateful spirit for the things that God has done. <clears throat> Are you a prideful person? Let me ask you some questions. Do you get irritated when you're corrected for making mistakes? Are you the kind of person that can, can take that and, and learn from it and grow from it? 
Do you like to accept praise for things over which you have no control, things like beauty or talent or ability or the place where you were born? Do you find it difficult to admit it when you've made a mistake? Or do you make an excuse for why it happened or try and justify it? Do you find it difficult to seek counsel and to get help? Do you find sometimes in your heart an ungrateful spirit for what you have because you you want more? Do you find yourself in a spirit of competition that measures success by being victorious over others or comparing yourselves to others? Are you discontent with what you have and who you are? See, these are, these, are, these are questions that get to the heart of the issue of, of, you know, am I a prideful person or am I a humble person? And I think if we're all honest here this morning, pride is a sneaky sin that slips into our lives unnoticed but does significant harm to our relationships and to our reputation before man and also our relationship with God. And... Chapter 11 of the book of Proverbs, verse 2, Solomon warns us. He says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. You know, it was pride that caused Lucifer to be cast out of heaven. It was pride that caused Adam and Eve to be thrown out of the Garden of Eden. The danger of pride is the sobering reality that uh, each of us must recognize that you know, it may slip into our lives. And we need to recognize that pride really is our greatest enemy. Continuing in, in C.S. Lewis' book, Mere Christianity, which is a fabulous book. If you've not read that, I encourage you to do so. C.S. Lewis writes this. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Pretty powerful. Solomon warned 26 centuries before C.S. Lewis wrote that. In Proverbs 16, 18, he said, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. But the problem with pride is the difficulty in recognizing that you're filled with it. I mean, the drunk knows he's drunk. The thief knows he's a thief. The adulterer knows he's an adulterer. But a proud person doesn't see that he has a problem with pride. I mean, if I had a problem with pride, I mean, I certainly would confess it, right? I mean, but I mean, you know, we all think I don't have a problem with pride. Most people listening to this message probably here this morning are thinking, somebody needs to hear this this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Problem is, we think it's the other guy. The thing about pride is that it's pride that keeps us from recognizing that we have a problem with pride because we think we've got it figured out. But I know this, it's easy to spot pride in another person, right? Oh, it's easy to see it in them. It's just really hard to see it in ourselves. 
easy to see when other people are filled with pride. Really difficult to see when we ourselves have a problem with pride. Pride is the antithesis of humility. It really is. Pride causes us to see ourselves differently than we really are. So we need a right view of ourselves. So what is a right view of ourselves? Well, let me just give you a few things that I know to be true of you and I know to be true of me. First of all, we're all God's creatures. So we're small, finite, we're dependent. We have limited intelligence, limited ability. We're prone to sin and we're all on a path to death and eventually judgment. Would you agree that that's, that's a, an accurate reality of who we are? But we are also God's children. We've all been created by him. We're loved by him. We're redeemed by God's grace and by God's grace alone, not by anything that we could ever do by ourselves. That we're gifted by God with certain gifts and abilities. We have certain resources and advantages that uh, God has given to us, which are to be used for his glory. So that's who we are. But so how do, we, how do we have a humble spirit? What do we need to do to, to defeat the pride that is so easy in our lives and allow us to become more humble? So I'm going to give you three things and encourage you to write them down this morning. Number one, to be humble, you must have an accurate view of yourself. You've got to see yourself clearly. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, Paul said it very well when he said this. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring, us, to, bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result... No one can even boast in the presence of God. God has, so, God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scripture says, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. That's good advice, amen? When we see who we are, we boast only in who God is. We are who we are because of God's incredible work in our lives. So don't confuse the real you with the you that you portray at the office, at school, or online. Because we always like to project the best image of ourselves, not necessarily acknowledging who we really are and how much we really do depend upon God. Today we have a fascination with social media where so many people are getting their validation and finding their worth tied to likes and follows and friends and retweets. And so our self-image rises and falls with whether people that we don't even know liked or clicked on, on something we said or a picture that we posted. And we're seeing teenagers that get rejected or feel bad about themselves because of something that happens online. They're taking their own lives. It's terrible. Parents, make sure that your children understand how dangerous it is to find their identity in an online persona. We are who we are in Christ. You are special because God made you that way. 
Living for the applause of man is a fool's game. Don't get caught up into it. Realize who you are in Christ. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a part of God's family. You're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You're sons and daughters of God. This world is not your home. You have a home in glory. As a follower of Christ, that's who you are. Not some image that we try to maintain. It's exhausting trying to keep up the image that the world wants us to keep up. God says, don't do it. Be who you are. Be who I created you to be. Second thing, to be humble, you must value others better than yourself. Philippians 2, again, Paul writing. Verse 3, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility... Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I love what Paul says. He did not say, in humility, count yourselves lower than others. Rather, he said, we should, in humility, value others above ourselves. There's a big difference. It isn't about you looking down upon yourself. It's instead, it's you looking higher at others. The emphasis is not on our lowness or our lack of significance. Humility focuses on the needs and the well-being of others. He said this, count ourselves Count others more significant than yourselves. Not because other people are more valuable than you, but because that's the mindset of humility. That's the mindset that Jesus Christ came when he left heaven and came to earth, put on flesh, and lived a humble life and set the example for you and I. It was to put others first. Jesus set the example. He made it clear, this is how I want you to live. Throughout his life on earth, Jesus demonstrated the spirit of humility. Matthew 20, verse 28 says that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Think of it. On one of the last nights of Jesus' life, he took a basin of water and he washed the dirty feet of his disciples. Do you see the significance of this? God, who spoke the world into existence. I mean, we're talking Jesus. Jesus, the very one who knelt down and washed their feet, spoke the world into existence. He hung the stars. And he came and he put on flesh. He allowed himself to be beaten, abused. He allowed himself to be crucified. He allowed himself. He humbled himself. Jesus said, follow my example. You see, Christianity, 
the hallmark of Christianity is the fact that we're outward focused, that we're here to serve, that it's not about us. My friends, it's not about us. It's not. At Venture, we aim to be a community-focused church. We want to minister to our neighbors. We want to love our neighbors. We want to honor our neighbors. One of the things that's going to distinguish the Venture Cares mobile market is the fact that the two main themes are compassion and dignity. We want people to feel loved, and we don't want them to have to hang up their dignity when they come to receive help. We want to honor them. Listen, all of us need help at times. And we want people to feel okay when they come and when we serve them. Listen, when the people in our community are hungry, we want to feed them. When they're thirsty, we want to give them something to drink. When they're sick, we want to be there to come alongside and help them in whatever way we can. Because that's who we are. We want to care for others. We want to value others above ourselves. Paul said that we're to look more at the interest of others than our own interest. And that sounds good coming from the pulpit, and it sounds good when we hear it and we can nod our heads, but it becomes a very difficult thing when we have to put it into action, right? To value others better than ourselves. Think of this. How do you treat a server at a restaurant that doesn't get your meal right? That didn't get your water filled on time? And heaven forbid you had to wait a few moments and your throat was a little parched. How do you treat that server? How do, we, how do we treat people when they don't meet our expectations, when they don't meet our high standards of service that we expect of them? How do we treat them? I remember as a kid, uh, uh, my dad used to have a, a, a trucking company. <clears throat> and so, uh, you know, there would be times that we would get loads of stone and things like this, and, and we'd dump a load of stone out in the yard. Uh, my brother and I would play King of the Hill. You ever played King of the Hill? You know, use any excuse you can to push your brother down a mountain. I mean, it's always a wonderful thing. Problem is, is we've been playing King of the Hill since we were kids and we're still playing it. We're still trying to climb the ladder and push others down. I'm just here to tell you that's not the way Christ would have us live. That's not what he wants us to do. We're servants. We do what others don't want to do. That's who we are. That's what distinguishes us. That's what makes us Christ, the, 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 people to see the fact that we're Christ followers is the fact that we're willing to serve, that we care for the sick, that we mend the brokenhearted, that we step in when others run away. Does that mentality resonate with you? All of us, myself included, need a pride check on a regular basis to ask ourselves some tough questions. The last thing I want you to see this morning is to be humble, you must own the reality of your sinfulness. We have to own the reality of our own sinfulness, right? I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. He's a sinner. She's a sinner. Wouldn't you like to be a sinner too? No. <laughs> That's Dr. Pepper. Sorry. Um, <laughs> we're all sinners, right? Every person in this room is a sinner and we need to acknowledge it. 
The truth is we're probably far more sinful than we realize because we have a way of whitewashing our own sin, of overlooking our own sin, not recognizing how sinful we really are. We wrap our sin in religious garb in an effort to try and sanitize it. This is kind of crude, but if you were to make me a cow manure brownie, I don't care how much white powdered sugar you put on the top, I'm not eating it, right? Well, it doesn't matter how often we try to make our sin not seem quite as bad. It is what it is, right? Our sin is sinful, and we need to own it. And I think that our sin is far more offensive to God than we realize. And I'll be the first to say guilty as charged. While Christ was ministering on earth, he often had to address those who were putting, putting their trust in their own achievements and righteousness. I mean, it was one of the things he had to deal with so often with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In Luke chapter 18, we see a clear picture of it. In Luke 18, Jesus addressing this issue. Verse 10, he says, two men went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. Tax collectors were the scourge of the earth at that time. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Verse 14, Jesus, I tell you, that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, when you look at the Pharisee's reaction here, his focus is not on God. His focus is on how good he is compared to other people. And we can do that today. Even in a good church like this, we can say, well, yeah, yeah, I've got some sin in my life, but I mean, I'm not as bad as I used to be, or I'm not as bad as so-and-so, or I'm doing, better than, I'm doing better than that family, so, you know, my sin, I'm not as bad as that person. How is that any different than the Pharisee and the tax collector? We need to be honest and recognize how awful our sin is. The tax collector here, he was painfully aware of his sins. He realized that he was unworthy before God, and, and it says that he couldn't even lift up his eyes. He stayed to the very back of the temple because he was, so, he was so broken over his sin. His focus was on his own sins, not the sins of others. He realized he needed God's mercy. My friends, we all desperately need God's forgiveness. Amen? Our sinfulness should drive us to our knees on a daily basis. Solomon said in Proverbs 29, verse 23, pride brings a person low, but the low, lowly in spirit gain honor. In humility, we bow before God and we recognize our true condition. We live to honor and serve God. That's why we're here. We're created to fulfill his purpose 
for our life. Do you realize the fact that God made you? He knows you. He knows every cell in your body. He knows the hairs in your head. He knows everything about you. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. And he made you for a purpose. He has a plan for your life. But in our pride, we chase after success. We pursue what man says is good and right. Many times not even considering what God may want us to do. Does what God wants you to do cross your mind regularly? Do you ask yourself each morning, God, what do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to serve and who can I help today? Too often we chase after worldly accolades, human achievements, status, But as followers of Christ, we don't live to impress the world. That's not our purpose. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said this, James 4.4, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. God opposes the proud, shows favor to the humble. Our pride puts us in opposition to God. You want to be in opposition to God? Of course not. I don't want to be opposing God in anything. But if our ambition in life is to be accepted by a godless culture and to become friends with the world, then we are in opposition opposition to God and we are enemies of God. Listen, if you take a stand for God in this world, you're going to lose some friends. Are you going to please God or are you going to please man? If you speak the truth in love, some will reject you. Are you here to please God or man? If you refuse to join the latest social movement, you'll likely get canceled. Are you here to please God or man? Listen, I would rather be rejected by the entire world and be accepted by God than be accepted by the entire world and be rejected by God. Peter said the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. He says, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Now, the interesting thing here is that the James passage, James, the half-brother of Jesus, quoted Solomon. And Peter, in his passage, quoted Solomon, the same passage. I don't know if there's uh, how many other places are in the Bible where two different authors both quoted the Old Testament author. But here it is, Solomon. What did he say 700 years before them? He said, surely he scorns the scornful, but gives the grace to the humble. God hates our sin. But if we're humble enough to own it and confess it, he will forgive it and forget it. Amen? Your worth and value is determined by by how much God was willing to pay for you. And he gave his life for you. That's how much he loves you. But know this, 
though he loves you, he doesn't need you. We need him, but he does not need us. Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, put it well when he said this. Isaiah 10, verse 15. But can the axe boast greater power than the person who uses it? Is the saw greater than the person who saws? Can a rod strike unless a hand moves it? Can a wooden cane walk by itself? You see, in this passage, we are the axe, we are the saw, we are the rod, we are the cane. And the reality is we can do nothing apart from the hand of God who moves us. Too often, we examine our accomplishments and we congratulate ourselves for our achievements, not recognizing God's involvement in our lives. We think, I'm so smart, look what I achieved. I made such brilliant decisions, look how successful I am. I was at the right time. I took advantage of this. I made a great decision. It's my intellect. It's my, it's my leadership. It, I, look what I did. And God's like, really? Can a saw saw without somebody moving it? A hammer hammer without somebody swinging it? A cane walk without somebody moving it? We need to recognize how much God has done for us. Too often we fail to recognize God's work on our behalf. We overestimate what we've been able to accomplish and we underestimate how much God has done on our behalf. You see, pride says, look what I've accomplished. Humility says, look what God has done. My friend, that is a message we need here in Southwest Florida because pride is shouting Look what I've accomplished. But church, we're followers of Christ. That's not our message. We're not here to shout, look what I've accomplished. In humility, we say, look what God has done. I have been blessed because of what God has done for me, in me, sometimes through me. Ask yourself this, do you have anything that wasn't first given to you? Do you know anything that wasn't first taught to you? You may love, but who loved you first? And ask yourself this question, what are you doing that God could not do better on his own? When we ask those questions, we'll realize how insignificant we are in our flesh. And the fact that the only good we have is the fact that God has chosen to do good in us and through us. My friends, it is an honor and a privilege to be used by God to do anything. He could use anyone to stand up here anyone. And there are times in the Old Testament that he just used a jawbone of an ass, you know, to communicate a message. He doesn't need me. I do my best to fade into the background, preach his word, and let his Holy Spirit do the work. But that doesn't mean I don't have an issue with pride. We all do. It's something that creeps into all of us. We need to recognize it is an honor to serve God. It's an honor to hold open a door. It's an honor to be out there and to, 
do the work that we do to get out into the community. It will be an honor when we're able to serve food to hungry people. What a privilege. We are so, so honored to be used by God. But our natural tendency is to boast of our success and our achievements. Look at my status, see my success, look what I've built, see what I've done. And we need to recognize maybe the world sees that and applauds you. But we don't live for the applause of the world, do we? You want God's applause? Be humble. Be humble. Recognize who you are. Admit your sin. Proverbs 27, verse 2. Solomon said this. Let someone else praise you, not your own mouth. A stranger, not your own lips. Venture Church, if we walk humbly with God and pursue him only, he may choose to pour his grace and his blessing upon our efforts, not for our glory, but for his. It would be an incredible privilege if our church would be used by God to spark a movement here in Southwest Florida. But and it, I'm telling you, it would not be because of anything that happens up here. It would only be because God would choose to do it through us. So we must, we must stay humble. We must fight the cancer of pride every day and realize just how much we need God to get through. Amen? Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we come before you this morning and we recognize our sinfulness. I believe every person in this room would agree with me that God, we are sinners. We disappoint you so many times in so many ways. And for that, God, we, we are sorry. God, we confess our pride. We just think too highly of ourselves so many times. God, forgive us. Father, may we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. May we serve one another. May we serve this community. And God, if it be your will to use us for anything, God, will give you the glory. We are the axe. We are the rod. We are the cane. But God, you're the one who moves. So God, in humbly this morning, we pray that you would, you would use us. Use us to share the light of the gospel to the darkness in this world. Help us to be different than the rest of the world. Father, there's some here this morning that maybe they've never trusted Jesus as their Savior. God, I pray that before they put their head in their pillow tonight, they would just simply cry out for your forgiveness. Put their faith and their trust in Jesus. Lord, there may be some here this morning that your Holy Spirit has tapped them on the shoulder and said, you're filled with pride. You're filled with pride. You ooze of pride. Maybe, God, you would just point that sin out. God, I pray they'd receive it. I pray, God, that all of us would learn to walk humbly. Because, God, we need you. We cannot do it on our own. 
Without you, God, we are nothing. We can do nothing of significance. So, Lord, we just humbly submit ourselves before you this morning. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And thank you, God, for your forgiveness. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen and amen.